This one was a read research poll for NewsHub, and historically, uh, NewsHub has not exactly been prone to sort of understating uh, the results and the possible impact uh, that they think they might have. When uh, Tova O'Brien was the political editor, she used to hype them up to quite a comical extent sometimes. Um, she would, uh, you can't miss this, game-changing results, catastrophic for one party, you know, the sword of Damocles is hanging over one leader and this could be the poll that, you know, releases a sword with a thud into this. I'm sort of exaggerating, but they were hyped up like that. And for this one, it was interesting that uh, Jenna Lynch, uh, Tova's successor, didn't quite have the same pitch when trailing the poll results in advance on social media last weekend. As Jacinda Ardern warms the crowd at her party's annual conference, the latest News Hub Read research poll is hot off the printer and these results will send a shiver up the spine of one party. Find out who. News Hub Live at 6 tonight on 3. Yes, a bit more downbeat than over O'Brien's style. <laughs> and not really much of a sense of mystery about which party it was likely to be uh, that was you know, suffering a fall in that poll. I was also slightly smug in that I'd made a prediction on Media Watch last weekend uh, that we would see in the package about the poll those recent photo ops of the leaders, say Christopher Luxon doing his little PR stint in Maryvale McDonald's and Jacinda Ardern on the ice in Antarctica. And yeah, I was pretty close to almost exactly the way I thought those uh, those pictures with the appropriate puns uh, would be used. I've, I've mashed a couple uh, together here from News Hub at 6 uh, last Sunday. Labour knows why it's being frozen out. Christopher Luxon's absolutely loving it, but not counting his McChickens. Oh dear! Uh, you say that media hype, Colin. You know it's the hype that uh, they really for the results and the significance of their polls. But in this case, the drop in support for Labour it was six percent, and it was down to the lowest point in Jacinda Ardern's leadership. So that is significant and newsworthy, isn't it? Yes, absolutely. And as they keep saying that it's the trend that counts uh, over across not just their poll but other polls and in this case this was an acceleration of a trend of falling support for Labour um, but once again I just feel that they are a little bit too obsessed with the next election it's still probably more than a year away um, uh, Jenna Lynch uh, when she revealed these results on uh, News Hub at 6 did, did what they do where they put up the, the graphics of how the parliament would look as if this was an actual election result and she said you know these these uh, read research poll results add up to a wildly different parliament and I'm thinking well they might in a year when we've had an election which will follow a campaign which will change things but look not to pick on her and them others are doing this too I noted that uh, Today FM on the Monday, had a whole lot of stuff on its website uh, or on, and on its um, its radio shows throughout the day about this. But on the website, they've even got election 2023 branding on the online content, you know, relating to the, the poll, uh, which for me, it sort of triggers those same feelings when you walk into a shop in, you know, I don't know, August or September or something, and they're already putting up Christmas promotions. <laughs> you know, it's, it's a bit too soon. And, and in fact, with that in mind, this was... Um, this was how Jenna Lynch finished her report on, on News Hub at 6 on Sunday. Ardern revealing to News Hub, it'll be a late election. Look, we've got, you know, roughly 12 months or so till it's election day. It's always been game on for me. Forget Christmas, it's beginning to look a lot like election year. So, yeah, it's just my feeling that only political porter, reporters and uh, political pundits really think like this, you know, so focused on election year and all the electability and political... Str- I mean, forget Christmas, really? I mean, <laughs> is anybody else really thinking that? I have a feeling they think 
that we are more keyed up for this than, uh, the, or as keyed up for this as, as they are. But I really don't think we're going around like coil springs wondering how we're going to cast our vote in more than a year. And, you know, we certainly won't be thinking about it uh, at Christmas. Well, politicians, they, they think and strategize in a similar way, obviously. So perhaps they're just reflecting that. Yeah, I know that that is fair. And of course, they have to, you know, live in the world as it is. And yes, we know how much politicians uh, spin and strategize. And that's completely fair. But, you know, not everything's a political ploy. And just for example, I feel like I'm picking on Jenna Lynch here. And and I don't mean to because she's not the only one to have said this. But in that same report, as the poll, um, she talked about the expansion to uh, subsidise childcare that was announced at the Labour Party conference and the increases to family tax credits. Um, she called that, you know, a, a bid to get voters back and an attempt to gain back ground, you know, on, on these polls and the popularity. She said it's uh, it's incredibly smart policy from Labour targeting support for low to middle income New Zealand families. Middle New Zealand includes swing voting young families. So, you know, sure, that's part of the calculation. That That is definitely one of the reasons why Labour formulated that move as it did. And it took advantage of that set piece event of the political party conference, knowing that political journalists would be there and would get coverage to release and promote uh, that policy and uh, get exposure in the public. But, you know, first and foremost, you know, it is a policy change that is the government's response to a cost of living crisis and an effort to target that at the people who are going to be feeling uh, the effect of it most acutely. So, you know, to to just paint these things as a bid to get voters back and gain back support, it just feels to me uh, a little cynical. And it's not necessarily a one-off. And again, I I apologise if I feel like I'm picking on Jenna Lynch, but it's just the example of this kind of thing that that springs out. When the last uh, Read Research poll came out for News Hub, which I think was back in May, um, Jenna Lynch told viewers, uh, 16 sleeps to go until budget day. The government really needs to pull a rabbit out of a hat to bring voters back on side. I mean, you know, this is so far out from an election and we are not always coil springs just waiting to cast a vote and be persuaded uh, by, you know, a budget day or a conference uh, tax policy announcement, <laughs> which way we're going to do it. And um, interestingly, this just this week, the, the Herald has done a, a series, launched a series, which they say will go on for weeks and months which is uh, pitched at rebuilding New Zealand, getting over short-term thinking and uh, political partisanship to discuss and debate issues. So that's that's a kind of interesting move, and I hope uh, we'll see how that pans out. I'll I'll do a bit on this in the programme on Sunday, but I hope that might be a bit of an antidote to this kind of political reporting and thinking. Mm, When are are you going to become a coiled spring? (laughs) On election (laughs) night, maybe. Although I have to say, just before I came on tonight, I did flip up the the CNN live app and watch some of that live coverage. And that took me straight back to, um, you know, their their, uh, presidential election night and how tense that was and how the the pitch they keep that up for hour after hour after hour. uh, you know, with all those statewide races, and uh, yeah, that that stressed me out just looking at it. So I turned it off again. Oh, knife edge at the moment, isn't it? They don't know. They're still counting. Yeah, that that Dr. Oz fella got. Uh, they think has been defeated by the Democrat in that state. So one pickup, but it's still something like forty-eight, forty-eight in the um, Senate race. So yeah, too very, very close. But yeah, it's, honestly, just watching all that makes takes me back to that that uh, presidential election night, and uh, I just found all that a bit stressful. 
Indeed. Well, the other part of this poll is the support for the political leaders and that, that preferred prime minister question, and uh, that was reported as a slump in popularity for Ardern. Was that, in your opinion, a fair representation? Yeah, I guess so, um, because, you know, as we know, she's had historically you know high levels of popularity and approval in these polls. And also, as Jenna Lynch pointed out uh, in her... Uh, report um, the, pop, the her popularity slumped by about the same level as the approve the uh, party support results sort of six, six points ish. Um, so I think yeah, fair enough. But again, I feel like they can't help exaggerating and overinterpreting the result. You know, Jenna was saying her stardust has crumbled into dust. You know, and it's just a bit of drama for the viewers. But um, when the News Hub website reported this, they said uh, Ardern's uh, preferred Prime Minister support had plummeted into the twenties because uh, she got twenty nine. 0.9% of the respondents but you know the big winner in the poll is and it, you know, forgive me because I know I've said this to you before so sorry I'm a bit of a broken record on this but her preferred Prime Minister rating uh, and you add it to Christopher Luxon's which is just over 50% between them 6 or 7% for Winston Peters 2% for I think Chloe Swarbrick and 1.5% for Nicola Willis add all that up together and you've got more than a third of people either saying I don't know or just don't ask me that question and this this is also a trend this has been going on for a few years now that there's more about a third of people just don't want to answer this question and it's going up and up and up uh, and it's a bit of a shame though because Read Research and News Hub are not actually putting up the the full data anywhere for that they used to but I haven't seen it anywhere so far um, but yeah, definitely I just think that question has had its day when you've got more than a third of people saying I don't want to answer that or I won't Yes. Well, when they do these polls, they also ask questions about uh, topical social and political issues. And and this one they asked about tax. Was that a a good and timely thing to be asking about? Yes. Yeah, they did. And I think those are the the most interesting things about these polls, because the way TVNZ does them uh, with their polls to Kantar is pretty much the same. And then the second night and maybe the third night, they roll out those supplementary topical questions. They also asked a question about... Uh, fuel tax and whether New Zealanders want uh, that supported and you know given the petrol announcements today that's um you know, the price setting of the commerce commission and so on that is definitely topical so a good one to have asked um yeah the tax one was fascinating because the question they asked was whether we should uh, remove tax from the first i think $14,000 of earnings similar to the policy they have in Australia um, because it's taxed, taxed, I think, 10% here. Anyway, I uh, don't want to say the wrong thing there, but it's about that. So overwhelmingly, uh, people who are polled back that idea. And then News Hub did some reporting and had a couple of experts explaining that actually, you know, the cost would be significant. So on the AM show the next day, they had Cameron Bagri, economist, explaining a bit of that. Um, so, yeah, here they have actually, this is something I think, the public could get something out of because there's a lot of talk about the tax brackets, bracket creep, all of that, the national policy of cutting tax on the on the higher rate, all of that. So that that really is worth asking people's opinion about. And then if that's something that shifts political support, that'd be quite interesting. So, yeah, I, I wish they'd do a bit more of that and focus a little more on that, but not just so much on the party leaders. It's an almost obsessive focus, I find. And... On as another part of this, they did uh, something they did a year ago, which was a word cloud. So asking people what's one word you'd use to describe Christopher Luxon and Jacinda Ardern and putting up this word cloud, showing that the sentiment had turned a bit against Jacinda Ardern because people were reaching for words like dictator or 
whatever, whereas previously it had been a much more glowing um, and, and, and popular. But I don't think it tells you anything, because even if you use a harsh word to describe a politician, it doesn't mean you wouldn't vote for them or support them. And when they did this a few years back, uh, they they were calling Simon Bridges at the time historically unpopular and highlighting, you know, like the people that had selected the word, you know, dickhead and describing them like that and putting this up in, in big letters in the word card. I just think it's just unhelpful. It's actually a little bit juvenile. And I feel for the reporters that had to go and ask the MPs, you know, what's one word to describe your leader, Christopher Luxon? And of course these MPs, you know, scratch their heads, try not to look silly and come up with, you know, driven and determined. It, it doesn't get us anywhere. Well, well, meanwhile, one politician who's definitely focused on the next election is, dun, 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 Winston Peters. Yeah, you, uh, you need that drummer on now, don't you? Yeah. <laughs> yes, I do. He, he made an interesting international appearance this week. Yeah, I know. Uh, yeah, I just only noticed this because the YouTube algorithm served this up to me uh, when I was wasting a bit of time online. And uh, yeah, he did a, a 10-minute interview on the UK outlet GB News, which is the um, it's been going for about a year. This is... The TV channel that's funded by um, Brexiteer billionaires as uh, a sort of counterpoint to the um, the woke lefty mainstream compromised media as they see it. Um, John Cleese famously is going to start a show uh, next year called um, Uncancel Me or something like that. But whenever they uh, mention New Zealand on this program, they have a former New Zealand journalist, Dan Wooten, as one of their star presenters who's transitioned from showbiz into um kind of vehement uh, and splenetic um, political stuff. And whenever they talk about New Zealand, it's to express amazement about um, the authoritarian way the COVID controls were imposed. And they often sheep this home to Jacinda Ardern, who they paint as a kind of dangerous and odd politician, and they can't understand why she has this high and um, and positive international profile. So Winston Peters, when asked, was only too happy to go on until the host Mark Dolan um, that, uh, look, it's all true that there is authoritarianism at the heart of Jacinda Ardern and the government and that uh, the media uh, were complicit in this. The media in this country should have seen that for what it was. It is tyrannical talk. It might be masked in a pleasant face and nice dress and a haircut. Wouldn't matter if it was a male or female, but that is tyrannical talk. It's the very seeds of, uh, how shall I say it, uh, tyranny. And uh, people, though, today are seeing things with great clarity. Uh, do you think that she'll be out at the next election? I don't think it. I know it. The next election, there it is again. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right. So even in the UK, they're concerned about our next election. So, yeah, very interesting. But you got dangerously close to that sort of um, Brian Tamaki. Was it Brian Tamaki who said, you know, called her a, what is it, a girl in a skirt on a power trip? But he very quickly tried to save himself, didn't he? When he said, oh, it doesn't matter if she's male or female, having said, you know, she's got this nice, pleasant appearance and uh, hiding a, a more authoritarian streak. But, you know, it just reminds me of, unless I'm very much mistaken, after... He sided with Labour after the 2017 election. He reacted very strongly against those who said, hang on a minute, you've anointed someone who's very untested, untried, a young young woman prime minister. You know, you really think she's up to it. And he reacted very strongly, saying that was um, sexist and outrageous, if my memory serves me. So a um, bit of a change of tone. But he was, he was absolutely loving being on British television, albeit on a kind of fringe channel for uh, that length of time. 
Right. Uh, in regard to the Labour Party conference, the, the poll um, was reported as a big blow for Labour, uh, which was hoping for a boost to morale at their party conference, obviously. Did, did, did the poll overshadow the event? Uh, it did. It did a bit, that, or particularly the way the result went, which some people have interpreted as a, you know, a bit of um, a pointed move by News Hub pointed timing. But, you know, these things have to come out sometime, so whatever. But, you know, the thing is that I think political reporters sometimes overshadow these conferences themselves anyway with the way they report them. They focus on the leader and the senior figures' uh, set-piece speeches, even though, you know, they can always get comment from these senior politicians. And, you know, the the party members and the delegates for whom these conferences are really the annual gathering, it's 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 also about them. They barely feature in reporting. I mean, to, to be fair, the last couple of years they've had to be uh, virtual and online, and sometimes... Um, the media get excluded altogether from a certain sessions. For example, I think Kelvin Davis uh, was supposed to do a public speech on Sunday, um, and then suddenly that was initially just limited to members, but ended up being public. So reporters don't always know, so it's it's not always easy for them. But um, Claire Trevett in the Herald, for example, said uh, the, the conference was a bit like a brief visit to Lego World in the Lego movie. Uh, the conferences are designed to make the delegates and grassroots volunteers think everything is absolutely awesome, uh, despite evidence to the contrary. Not all delegates believe it, of course, but everybody plays along. But, you know, we never hear from those delegates, you know, apart from a, the occasional vox pop in a TV report. Um, they're just kind of used as a backdrop. So if there's, you know, concern, you know, why not try and talk to a member or two, even if they don't want to give a name? Um, and I'd, I'd sort of give a shout out here to Richard Harmon, uh, the veteran political reporter with his own outlet, Politic, because he did go to the conference. He goes to the mall, I think, and he described the scenes. Um, he also noted that Labour has um, a definite strategy of focusing for this weekend and into the future on their Pacifica membership because um, in 2005 it was important getting votes out in uh, the Auckland region and some parts of South Auckland that turned out to be quite important in Helen Clark's victory. He said they've assigned uh, the Minister for Pacific Peoples, uh, Opito William Seor, to head their Pacifica strategy. Uh, so that's actually telling you something about what happened on the ground at the conference and you know something that might be significant in the, the party's actual membership. So yeah, I, I think that's good and I'd like to see a bit more of that. Well, but before the poll result actually took over the headlines, um, the Prime Minister gave uh, a, quite a long interview on TVNZ's Q&A show from the Labour conference. Those interviews, that length particularly, they're a rarity now, aren't they? It's yeah. sound bites. Yeah, it, it, well, that's the thing. And uh, a lot of people in the media don't really like the way the Prime Minister's office handle her schedule. And remember, you know, the backing out on News Talk ZB and all the fallout from that and Mike Hosking breakfast and so on. But the last time she appeared on that Q&A show, which is one of the few that really can accommodate a long form interview, uh, she was interviewed by the host Jack Tame. And he made a point of saying that the Prime Minister's office had told them they'd only get two of these long sit down interviews this year, uh, and they would be 20 minutes long, which is interesting. Um, so this time around, Jack Tame couldn't do it because it was actually John Campbell uh, filling in for him. And because of that, it was a bit different. How so? Well, the interview was recorded the day before it was broadcast, so last Saturday, and John Campbell made that clear during the interview itself. But 
it seemed like they'd actually made a decision not to edit it. Um, there were odd bits. Uh, a couple of times John Campbell was scrambling around with bits of paper, you know, looking for notes and quotes about um, child poverty stats or something like that, and pausing for interruptions and the stuff you'd, you'd normally think would be sort of smoothed over. And in a way, I quite like it when it has a bit of a raw feel and you're seeing, you know, it being uh, uh, the unplanned stuff happened and not smoothed over. But um, if time was tight, I don't think they quite um, made the best of it. And if this is really it for the year, they won't they won't get another go. What came out of the um, Q&A interview with the Prime Minister? Well, she gave some fairly predictable questions to some of the, you know, the the obvious sort of controversial issues and the topical stuff like cost of living and climate policy, um, child poverty, as I mentioned, which John Campbell uh, was determined to raise. Um, Three Waters is an ongoing controversy. But uh, interestingly, right at the end, John Campbell also asked about the new public media entity. And unless I've missed it, this is the only time this has ever actually featured or been discussed by any TVNZ news show anywhere outside of maybe a brief mention in a news bulletin um, when there's been a development. And I also found it interesting, um, John Campbell, when he raised it, felt like he had to kind of justify it or almost ask permission. Can I raise briefly the question of uh, the merger between RNZ and TVNZ? Oh, sure. And I I apologise to our audience if they think I'm being (laughs) self-interested. But look, people who watch Q&A will clearly be interested in public media. Yeah, absolutely. And I suspect a lot of them will listen to RNZ too. What the hell is this merger designed to achieve? The last time I was on with you, we talked about how the media's narrative on this merger had become, you know, why? Why does this have to happen? What's the point of spending all this money? And, yeah, interesting that that was the way John Campbell uh, put it to the Prime Minister there. Well, what did she answer? Well, um, she, yeah, she began, uh, she laid out the, the rationale this way. It's designed to future-proof us and to make sure we have, you know, the best possible opportunity for our public broadcasters uh, and their audience to gain access to information when they need when they need it, to have content and stories that tell our stories and are specific to us in a changing environment. Yeah, so Jacinda Ardern went on to say traditional TV and radio audiences are declining and it's the government's belief transitioning RNZ and TVNZ into a better funded multimedia outfit is the you know the soundest way to preserve and improve what they do now and that's that's the government's line that they, they want to hold. Well, Colin, opponents of the merger, they've raised several objections, as you know. Uh, the ANZPM would be too powerful in the media marketplace, uh, the, the government spending too much money on it, and that it would be vulnerable to political interference. Did the Prime Minister address those issues? Yeah, only the last one, uh, really. She assured John Campbell this autonomous crown entity structure, which has been a bit controversial and criticised, would, uh, she assured him this would not be abused for political control and influence. But after they had that exchange, it was a very weird pause in the interview. For, for several seconds, one of these um, bits I mentioned earlier that you thought would be edited out. And then that sequence on the public media entity ended this way. <laughs> Is that you looking at the time or just... <laughs> I was just thinking, I, I mean, we're out of time. Okay. okay. No, don't, 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 was it something I said? I just want to ask you. No, no, no. It's just, I mean, public broadcasting matters to me. We have oh, to me right, too. But we have to take with us the yeah. people who are screaming fake news at us. Yeah, yeah. We have, because if we lose them to the predations of the Murdoch Empire and conspiracy theorists oh, yeah, and absolutely. Telegraph, then we're in the shit. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Forgive me for saying that on the telly, but it's public broadcasting so we can be a little bit... 
Oh, well, that was it. Yeah, yeah, there was, there was a bit. I'm not quite sure what the point is. We're public broadcast. We could be a little bit. He didn't finish the sentence, but I mean, but strangely, he went off on a bit of a, um, uh, you know, a comment of his own rather than asking the prime minister anything. But that, yeah, that was all really they covered with the, the public media entity. And um, you know, I hope TVNZ does have a better go in, in some program at some point in addressing what's really at stake in this um, public media uh, innovation that the government's putting through. And uh, you know, th- there really is no need to sort of almost ask permission to raise the issue as John Campbell did with the prime minister there. Were there any other developments in the public media entity saga this week? Yep, couple. Uh, so the Herald's Thomas Coughlin had a report saying the National Party had obtained a late draft of the business case uh, for the merger and uh, that this had said uh, there's an estimate that about $100 million a year of TVNZ's current revenue, or the revenue TVNZ currently attracts, uh, will drop away within uh, five years or so, according to officials, and the implication being that will have to be made up uh, somewhere else. And uh, Thomas points out that this actually isn't in TVNZ's, you know, three-year uh, forecast. Um, for, for the, they forecast no overall decline in revenue because uh, they say they could offset it with advertising online. So a bit of discrepancy there. But, you know, we always knew that revenue would fall uh, if uh, TVNZ was part of a, a, a non-profit uh, public service-driven uh, broadcast that kind of makes sense. And Treasury's been saying for years that with media trends as they are, that would happen as well. Um There's uh, the detail, RNZ's podcast looked at uh, the issue of what Labour reforms might be on the chopping block uh, as they get to the election, and she thought the merger might be one that would be easy to put in the too-hard basket. And uh, then another thing was uh, Dr. Peter Thompson, who's a Victoria University uh, media academic and also a member of the campaign group Better Public Media, Um, he pointed out in a story to Stuff that uh, the entity doesn't have a public service mission clearly written into its legislation such that it would be obliged to commission a really broad range of content, something it's been assured, or the, the backers of the merger are assured, uh, are assured would happen, but he say he says it's not uh, written down, bolted down in, in the legislation and so on, and that needs to be a bit clearer.